Let us pray. Speak, Lord, in the stillness. And speak your word to us. Amen. I'd ask you to keep that passage open before you this morning because much more than we have been doing in recent weeks, I will be focusing all my attention on this one particular passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 8 and the first 15 verses. I want to begin by asking you a question this morning. Is the preaching here at Kirkpatrick any good? I asked that question one time in a previous congregation where I was ministering, and somebody in the congregation didn't quite get the fact that it was a rhetorical question, and they they shouted out, it's not bad, and we had a a little bit of a conversation, which was quite nice, because normally I'm just up here on my own, so is the preaching at Kirkpatrick any good? Whenever you leave here after our services, and think or or talk over Sunday lunch or maybe after our evening service over supper. What what do you think of the preaching here at Kirkpatrick? I'm going to come back to that question a little bit later on, but here in Luke chapter 8, we've just found, we've just come across someone whose preaching was clearly very good. It's Jesus. In the opening verses of Luke chapter 8, we're told of a huge crowd coming to Jesus from town after town. They've heard that he's a great preacher. So they come to him full of expectancy, waiting, him to, waiting for him to tell them about God, to make all the, the things of the Bible clear to them. That's what they're, they're expecting. And then it's a bit of a shock when we discover what Jesus actually does. He tells them a story And it's a bizarre, confusing kind of a story, a parable. It's called here in Luke's Gospel. This parable in Luke chapter 8 is the first of many parables that you'd find if you read through Luke's Gospel. And we're going to spend a a few weeks on these summer Sunday mornings looking at about five of those parables. And before we charge into that series, I want to take a couple of minutes this morning to think about what, what these parables are. So let's begin and and think for a moment. Why did Jesus choose to use parables? Even his closest friends, the disciples, didn't quite understand what Jesus was at. At verse 10, we see Jesus' explanation. They asked him, Jesus, what are these parables about? Why are you teaching using parables? Look at verse 10. He says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Did you get that? Do you see why Jesus says he uses parables? Jesus says, I'm using parables not to make it easier for people to understand what I'm saying, but to make it harder. Now, that flies in the face of what you and I were told in Sunday school and in primary school what parables were. We were told that parables were, were simple stories, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, little stories that would make the things of God very simple and very plain to us. Well, Jesus says that's not 
what parables are. He says parables are going to make it harder for some people to understand me and my message. The result of my using parables, says Jesus, is that some people won't see, they won't understand, and they won't get it. Now, why why on earth would Jesus do that? Well, the reason why Jesus taught in parables is because at the time when he began to preach, as we have already noticed, he had massive crowds of people coming to him. And from the outside, it looked like Jesus' ministry, and particularly these opening days, were massively successful. Jesus was drawing these huge, huge crowds. But Jesus had a a way of thinking about those crowds which might surprise us. Rather than seeing it as a massive sign of success, he was a little bit wary. He said that he knew what was on the people's hearts and the people's minds. He knew that and he wasn't convinced that they would all be on his wavelength, even though they were coming to hear him preach. So what does Jesus do? Well, rather than trying to please everyone in the crowd and to keep them all happy, Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Let me, let me deal with this very quickly. He, he deals with Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 to 10. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read about God's call to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was called in a day when God's people had become infatuated by foreign idols. They could neither see nor hear God clearly anymore. At this point in their history, these people had gone so far from God that God abandoned them to spiritual blindness and deafness. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's quoting from that very passage in the prophet Isaiah, and he's identifying his times with the times of the prophet Isaiah. He's saying that he feels like Isaiah did, preaching to people whose hearts are already hardened against him. Still begs the question, doesn't it? If that's the case, why does Jesus preach using parables? Well, if I can understand what he's saying in verse 10, I think Jesus uses parables as a bit of a filter. Although there are thousands of people coming to him, Jesus says that not all of them are going to get it. Not all are going to follow him and not all are going to understand him. A tiny minority will. To those, these parables will be understood and the wisdom of God will become clear to them. But to others, these parables will be mysteries that they're unable to unlock. To you, says Jesus to his true disciples, the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of God has been given. I think what Jesus is doing with these parables is he's putting something out there that's not immediately obvious. And he's saying, if you want to understand me, you've got to work at it. If you want to understand me, you've got to come close enough and spend enough time with me until God begins to switch the light on for you. I'm not going to make myself available easily to the thousands who come to me. Very interesting. I began 
this morning by asking you a question. Is the preaching here at Kirkpatrick any good? If the preaching was better, would there be a better response? Well, that's the question that this first of Jesus' parables in Luke's gospel tackles. Very quickly, I'm not going to deal too much with the mechanics of this parable, because some of you will have heard it preached about 50 times. The, the only thing that you need to know in this parable to see how it works, the seed is the Word of God. The sower is the person who preaches and who spreads the seed. And the soil is the heart of the people who listen. This parable, in my opinion, has been misnamed because the key thing in this parable isn't the seed, and it's not the sower. This is called the parable of the sower. The key thing in this parable is the soil. This parable is all about the soil and what happens when the seed of the Word of God hits the soil. Very quickly, let's have a look at the three or the four responses that we find when God's Word is preached, when the seed of God's Word is thrown by the sower. In verse 5, Jesus tells us about some seed that falls on the path and it's trampled and eaten by birds. And then in verse 12, he explains that a little. He says that some people are like the soil of a hard-trodden path. There are people who hear, and then the devil comes and he takes away the word from their hearts. There are thousands of people gathered around Jesus. They're all listening, and they're all hearing, but many of them, says Jesus, are like a hard-trodden path. When the seed of what he says lands on the soil of their lives, it doesn't even penetrate. It's trampled on, and the birds of the air come and eat it. Friends, there are people here this morning who are hardened against the Word of God. No matter how many times they come to church, and no matter what I or any other preacher would say from this pulpit, they're hardened. And the reasons why they're hardened can be many and varied might be intellectual pride. might be that they say, that, that Bible stuff and that stuff that you're saying, that's, that's nonsense. That's for the superstitious and the silly, but it's not for me. It might be intellectual pride. It might be that people have fixed ideas about their own lifestyle and they won't listen to anything that would challenge the way in which they live. There's no way I'm going to start doing this or stop doing that I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Or maybe it's self-righteousness. People have been around long enough to know that if they listen to the Bible, they'll be challenged. And they don't like it. Me, a sinner? Anything wrong with my life? No way. Friends, if, if what Jesus says in this parable is true... There are people here this morning who are hardened against the Word of God. No matter what is said and how often it's said, it's all water off a duck's back. We listen, but we don't. 
I think sometimes people with this attitude think they're being very clever and sophisticated. They're not sucked in by all the religious stuff like all the others around them. But notice what Jesus says. Notice whom he identifies as behind their hard-heartedness. Verse 12, the devil comes and takes away the word so that they may not believe and be saved. Jesus is convinced that wherever the word of God is preached, Satan is at work. Wherever the word of God comes into contact with people's lives, Satan is looking for opportunities to remove it before its power can begin to germinate. Satan is at work here this morning. I wonder if you believe that. I do. I entirely believe that. And I believe that it's true every time that we try to seriously communicate God's word. Friends, that's the the first type of soil, the first type of human response to God's word, the hardened. In verse 6, Jesus tells us about a second type, the seed that falls on rock, which grows but then withers because it's no moisture. And then in verse 13, he, he goes on again to explain that. He says that some people are like this rocky soil. They're the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they've no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. You see, there are always going to be some people in the crowd when they hear the Word of God, who think, yes, that is brilliant. That's for me. I accept that. I accept Jesus, and I'm going to live that way. But sometimes, or or even often, What's going on there is that the people have got caught up in the the excitement of the event a little bit. They've been caught up with the crowd a wee bit and the momentum of the occasion. It's a kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that you maybe get from watching a, a soppy film. They've received the word with joy, says Jesus. But then whenever circumstances change, when the adrenaline subsides a little bit, they come down off their high. Maybe the person themselves feels a wee bit discouraged. They told me that being a Christian would make me happy. Well, it didn't make me happy. They told me that Christianity would give me friends. Well, I don't have any. It must have been just a funny phase I was going through, just a flash in the pan. I'm not going to be a Christian any longer. Jesus says of these people, they have no root They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. Friends, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you will have seen this. You'll have seen people who make a start of it, sometimes make a start of it in in very exuberant and energetic ways. Maybe they throw themselves into the ministries of the church. They become members up to their eyes. But then six months later, or a year, they're nowhere to be seen. That's a second type of response to God's Word. It's a response where, yes, God's Word does initially take root and do its work, but there isn't the the depth there in the life to to really let the seed germinate. Look at verse 7. 
Jesus tells us there about seed that falls among weeds and which grows only to be choked. In verse 14, then, he explains that. He tells us that some people are like the weedy soil. They're the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. These people, I suppose they get a little bit further than the seed that falls on the rocky soil. They, they actually grow and they continue to grow. But the whole time, while they grow, something else is growing alongside them. Weeds are growing and sapping the energy of that plant. These are people who've become distracted who have allowed other things other than God and his work in their life to be the most important thing in their lives. The pervasive culture of materialism and worldliness has sapped them of their early love for God. For a young person, it can be all sorts of things. Educational goals, sporting achievement, sexual attractions, things like this and many others, they're to blame for their loss of interest. As we move on in our years in, in midlife, it can be financial stress, family responsibilities, career ambition. These things can begin to crowd out the, the growing life of Christ in us. In old age, our preoccupations change, becomes health and our grandchildren and the garden. None of these things are bad in and of themselves, but when they become number one in our lives. They crowd out and they choke and they strangle the life of God in us. Whatever stage of life we're at, there'll be dozens of these distractions available to us. As they go on their way, says Jesus of these people, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. The result is that they do not mature. Friends, there's nothing more tragic than a person who's been a Christian for decades and hasn't matured. It's out, entirely outside of God's will for his people that we would sit in a pew month after month, year after year in the same state that we were. This life of Christ is a growing life. Each one of us is to see that we're growing in Christ. But weeds prevent many of us from doing so. I began this morning by asking you whether the preaching at Kirkpatrick is any good. I, I hope and I pray that it is. I really do. It's at the very center of what I believe that God has called me to do as your minister here, is to preach faithfully and relevantly God's word to you. But this parable has forced us to ask an entirely different question, hasn't it? Rather than asking the question, is the preaching any good? The question is this, is the listening any good? Is the listening 
at Kirkpatrick Memorial to the Word of God good. That's what I want to spend the last couple of minutes thinking with you this morning. You see, Jesus reminds us in this parable that not everyone who hears the Word of God, no matter how well it's preached and no matter how often it's presented to them, not everyone gets it. So look down at verse 18. To summarize everything that he says, Jesus warns us all, consider carefully how you listen. I want to, I want to really stress that. And I want to include myself in this, by the way, because I'm a listener to God's Word. There's a weekly pattern in my life where I, first of all, must listen to God's Word myself. I do that at home in the study as I prepare for Sundays. And then on a Sunday, I come and I share with you what I believe God has taught me. So I'm a listener to the question for all of us, how well do we listen to God's Word? Listen to what George Buttrick, an American preacher, says about the importance of hearing properly. Hearing is an urgent business. We assume that because initiative is with the speaker, that the message controls the hearer. But the truth is that the roles may be reversed. The hearer may control the message. An appeal, even an appeal of Jesus, will be frustrated by unreceptiveness. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Okay, we want the preaching to be as good as it possibly can be. That is important, and, and I always want that to be important here. But the focus here is on the listening. How well do we listen to the Word of God. As I finish this morning, we've thought this morning about different reasons, three different reasons why people don't respond to the Word of God. But that's, that's only the, the half the story, less than half the story. Because in spite of the many people who don't hear and don't listen, Jesus assures us that there are many who do listen. And when we really listen to the Word of God, the results in our lives are dramatic. Look at verse 8. He tells us about some good seed, some seed which falls on good soil. It comes up and it yields a crop 100 times what was sown. Is Jesus exaggerating? I don't know. I don't know. But I think he wants to make the point God's Word, when it's received, will do dramatic things in our lives. He tells us in verse 15 what this good soil represents. These are people with a good and noble heart. They hear the Word, they retain it, and by persevering, they produce a crop. Friends, there have been four soils in our passage this morning. Do you remember what I said? This isn't about the sower. It's not about the seed. It's all about the soil. Four different soils, and only one of them, says Jesus, is the right soil before God. All those other soils, 
we need to be careful of those responses to God's word in our lives. Is the preaching at Kirkpatrick any good? I hope so. I hope that during the months and years ahead it will get better as God teaches me and I learn. I'm only at the beginning of this whole teaching and, and preaching ministry that God has called me to. But what about all of us together? Is our listening any good? Friends, if it's not, it doesn't matter who comes and preaches here. Jesus himself had thousands of people turn away from him because they would not accept his message. Friends, let's heed the warning of Jesus. Consider carefully how you listen. If we do that, if we become a congregation who listen carefully to the Word of God, who retain it and persevere with applying it, we're going to see hundredfold crops here at Kirkpatrick. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work out, and I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but I look forward to it. Let us pray.